ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Cloudflare's first quarter 2022 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star one. Thank you. Jason Nolan, Head of Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Thank you for joining us to discuss Cloudflare's finance results for the first quarter, 2022. Jason Nolan, Head of Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Thank you for joining us to discuss Cloudflare's finance results for the first quarter, 2022. With me on the call, we have Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO, Michelle Zatlin, co-founder, president, and COO, and Thomas Seifert, CFO. By now, everyone should have access to our earnings announcement. This announcement, as well as our supplemental financial information, may be found on our investor relations website. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements during today's discussion, including but not limited to our customers, vendors, and partners' operations and future financial performance, anticipated product launches and the timing and market potential of those products, the company's anticipated future revenue, financial performance, operating performance, non-GAAP gross margin, non-GAAP net income or loss, non-GAAP net income or loss per share, shares outstanding, non-GAAP operating expenses, free cash flow, non-GAAP tax expense, dollar-based net net income or loss per share, shares outstanding, non-GAAP operating expenses, free cash flow, non-GAAP tax expense, dollar-based net retention rate, paying customers, and large customers. These statements and other comments are not guarantees of future performance, but rather a subvention rate, paying customers, and large customers. These statements and other comments are not guarantees of future performance, but rather are subject to risks and uncertainty, some of which are beyond our control, including but not limited to the extent and duration of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic to risks and uncertainty, some of which are beyond our control, including but not limited to the extent and duration of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and adverse conditions in the general domestic and global economic markets. Our actual results may differ significantly from those projected or suggested in any forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future or suggested in any forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future. We undertake no obligation to update these statements after this call. For a more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could impact our future operating results and financial condition, Please see our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as in today's earnings press release. Unless otherwise noted, all numbers we talk about today, other than revenue, will be on an adjusted, non-GAAP basis. All current and prior period financials discussed are reflected under ASC 606. You may find a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures in our earnings release on our Investor Relations website. For historical periods, a GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information on our Investor Relations website. For historical periods, a gap to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information referenced a few moments ago. Before finishing up, I'd like to invite you to join us for our Investor Day next week on Thursday, May 12th. It's being held in conjunction with our user conference, Cloudflare Connect, in New York City. This event will start at 9 a.m. Eastern and finish around 11.45 with a live webcast accessible from our Investor Relations website. Additionally, we will be participating in the Jeffrey Software Conference in San Francisco on June 1st. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Matthew. 
Thank you, Jason. We had a terrific quarter. In Q1, we achieved revenue of $212 million, up 54% year over year. We added a quarterly record of more than 14,000 new. We had a terrific quarter. In Q1, we achieved revenue of $212 million, up 54% year over year. We added a quarterly record of more than 14,000 new paying customers, up 10% quarter over quarter, bringing our total paying customer count to over 154,000 new paying customers, up 10% quarter over quarter, bringing our total paying customer count to over 154,000. We added 121 new large customers, those that pay us over $100,000 per year, up 63% year over year to a total of 1,537. Today, we added 121 new large customers, those that pay us over $100,000 per year, up 63% year over year to a total of 1,537. Today, 58% of our revenue comes from those large customers. Our largest customers continue to get larger and larger. Those spending over $500,000 a year, growing 68% year over year, and those spending over a million dollars a year, growing 72% year over year. We now have 12 customers and partners spending over $5 million per year with us. And yet, we remain highly diversified with no customer representing more than 5% of revenue. Our land and expand motion continues to improve with dollar-based net retention hitting a new record of 127% in the quarter, up 400 basis points year over year. New products and an increased interest in consolidating behind a single dollar-based net retention, hitting a new record of 127% in the quarter, up 400 basis points year over year. New products and an increased interest in consolidating behind a single trusted vendor for network services has been the key to our continued customer expansion. Efficiency has always been a hallmark of our business, and even in these inflationary times, we achieved a gross margin in the quarter of 78.7%, up 110 basis points year over year. That continues to be above our target gross margin range of 75 to 77%, and affords us the opportunity to selectively target competitors' customers, offering them bundles of products that work seamlessly together reducing the number of vendors they need, and providing them with modern solutions, all while saving them money at the same time. We are finding this an especially compelling value proposition when it seems everyone else is raising prices or can't even say for certain when they'll be able to deliver their legacy hardware boxes. We closed our largest acquisition ever in the quarter, buying Area 1 security for $162 million. We have a very high hurdle rate for acquisitions, being strongly biased towards internal development. But Area One's technology and team are special. We started out as their customers. I remember shortly after we implemented their solution, writing to our chief security officer to ask if something was wrong. I hadn't seen any phishing reports in a few weeks, where usually our team would report double digits per day. Turned out, Area One and their incredible email security tech was the answer. By the way, if you're still seeing phishing messages in your inbox, tell your IT team to call us. We now have a great solution. Over the last few years, as a customer of Area 1, we got to know their team. At Cloudflare, we're a bunch of geeks. We're good at sniffing out when tech is real and when it's BS. The Area 1 team shares the same spirit, so they were fun to work with, and their tech definitely isn't BS. We talked to them briefly about a partnership, but it became quickly clear it made far more sense for them to join Cloudflare and fully integrate with our Zero Trust suite. Let me give you a sense of how that's going. 
We extended offers to all the Area 1 team, and even in this hot labor market, 98% of them chose to join Cloudflare. And I'm not giving up hope on that last one Area 1 team member who hasn't yet. I think that says something about how good a fit the two companies are together, the technologies and the culture. Email is the number one source of network threats. That no leading zero-trust vendor has truly integrated email security is a major blind spot the industry was guilty of. As you see others in the space now scramble to build, buy, or partner to fill the hole we pointed out in their offering, know that it's the best signal Cloudflare's Zero Trust solution is resonating in the market and taking share, no matter what they may say. And good luck to them. We got the best team and the best tech in the business. Let's talk about some customer wins in the quarter, starting with Area 1. In the second half of Q1, Cloudflare and Area 1 sales team started working together. We saw a number of customer wins from existing Cloudflare customers adding Area 1, as well as from Area 1 pipeline deals that accelerated after news broke of our acquisition. Practitioners trust Cloudflare and know that if we buy a company, the tech works accelerated after news broke of our acquisition. Practitioners trust Cloudflare and know that if we buy a company, the tech works and will scale. New customers who onboarded to Area 1 in the quarter included a major Asian airline, a U.S. bulge bracket investment will scale. New customers who onboarded to Area 1 in the quarter included a major Asian airline, a U.S. bulge bracket investment bank, and a Fortune 1000 trucking company. Let me dig into that trucking company example a bit. They were an existing Cloudflare customer. They were in the midst of a pilot testing a wide range of email security vendors. In those tests, Area 1 caught twice as many phishing emails as the next best competitor. That the tech was now part of Cloudflare made the decision a no-brainer. The trucking company signed a 7,500-seat, $385,000 two-year deal. Watch this space. There's going to be a lot more stories like this one. We continue to see success with our other zero-trust products, a Midwestern U.S. 100-seat, $385,000 two-year deal. Watch this space. There's going to be a lot more stories like this one. We continue to see success with our other zero-trust products. A Midwestern U.S. state bought 75,000 seats in a three-year, $5.1 million deal. The state was replacing legacy hardware and had decided to move to a cloud-based solution when they began talking to us. It was a competitive deal, but they preferred Cloudflare's tightly integrated approach that gave them a single pane of glass with integrated policies and threat intelligence. They also loved our performance and network that had presence inside their state's borders. This was an example of a sale in partnership with a major systems integrator, which we expect will be part of more and more large zero-trust sales. We're confident our implementation of these products has plenty of margin to support a robust partner ecosystem. A large Indian media platform chose Cloudflare over Zscaler and Palo Alto Networks for their zero-trust network. They signed a $150,000 deal for 5,000 seats. They appreciated how much more tightly integrated our solutions were than the competition. We're going head-to-head with Zscaler and Palo Alto Networks more and more, and we like our win rates when we do. A European Fortune 500 automotive company adopted Cloudflare's zero-trust approach to help manage their global fleet of more than 10 million vehicles. They signed a contract worth $320,000 per year. We're seeing more and more of these IoT zero-trust use cases and believe there's significant opportunity to expand with this customer. Speaking of expansion, a Fortune 500 software company expanded their relationship with us, bringing their annual run rate to $15 million per year. The new contract expanded our relationship 
to another internal IT division for helping them build their future, scalable, secure, modern network. They repeatedly let us know we were the only vendor they trusted in the space for such a mission-critical service. On the theme of trust, a large social network signed a $3 million five-year contract. They're using our global network to authenticate the security of one of their messaging products. They built the authentication application on workers, our serverless compute platform. That workers can keep up with their tremendous scale and volume is a testament to its effortless scalability. Sticking with workers, a large Australian software company adopted workers to help power a collaboration tool. They signed a $145,000 contract. They're using workers' durable object functionality to build real-time global synchronization into the product. What we're seeing with workers is that there's a natural expansion as smart software teams realize what they can do when they can write code and effectively deploy it directly into the Internet fabric. We expect this customer will continue to use workers for more of their projects now that they've proven success with this one. A Fortune 500 healthcare company signed a 1.2 Gressing to open beta next week, and we expect we'll be able to save them lots of AWS egress fees as well. I wanted to close by talking about what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine. I mentioned the region at the end of the last earnings call. A number of you reached out to say it seemed out of place at the time. Unfortunately, it proved prescient. At Cloudflare, our global network serves as an early warning sensor for what's happening across the Internet. In the months leading up to Russia's invasion, we saw characteristic cyber probing and other warning signs that were similar to what we'd seen in Georgia and Crimea years earlier. Concerned, We've briefed Western governments and offered our services to critical infrastructure providers and government institutions in Ukraine well before the physical invasion began. Many organizations there took us up on our offer of protection. One of the stories of the war has been the relative lack of cyber attacks. That's not exactly accurate. There have been attacks. However, the number that have been successful are thankfully few. I'm proud of the role. One of the stories of the war has been the relative lack of cyber attacks. That's not exactly accurate. There have been attacks. However, the number that have been successful are thankfully few. I'm proud of the role that Cloudflare has played to that end. In Russia, Belarus, and the Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine, we terminated all users tied to sanctioned parties and put additional checks in place for new customers signing up for our services. The region, including Ukraine, represents less than 1% of revenue, so we do not anticipate meaningful financial impact to our business but we are conservatively reserving for the worst case, just like we did at the beginning of COVID. One surprising thing that happened in the quarter was that our 1.1.1.1 app rose to number one in the Russian app stores. We build that app and give it away to consumers for free as the world's largest test bed for a key component of our zero trust solution. It turned out in what was an increasingly hostile network environment inside Russia, citizens there wanting to see what was really going on installed the app in order to access Western media. Now, we won't make any money of this, so some of you may wonder, why am I telling you about it during an earnings call? Because it turns out doing the right thing and being there when someone on the Internet needs us has always been core to Cloudflare and has always turned out to be good business for us over the long term. It's why I love my job. Successfully operating inside the hostile network environment that is Russia today makes our mobile app better for our enterprise zero-trust customers. Ensuring Ukrainian critical infrastructure stays online means we can stand up to the biggest nation-state-sponsored attack for our largest government, financial services, and other off-targeted customers. 
and briefing governments on what's about to happen proves the power and unique insight we get from our global network. We're in the trust business. We always have been. And in Q1, we built a lot of trust in a lot of quarters, even in what I believe will prove to have been the hardest quarter for the industry since Q1 of 2020. Trust is the secret to why we continue to grow paying customers at a record pace. It's why we received 133,000 job applications and saw attrition actually tick down while many others are struggling to hire, and why we continue to have a seat at the table in conversations around the future regulation of the Internet alongside today's tech giants. We will be there as the Internet needs us, in Ukraine, Russia, and everywhere else. And as we are, we are sowing the seeds to build what we intend to become, not just what some of you may think of us as, a steady, efficient, fast-growing, fast company today, but an iconic, trusted technology company that will define the future of the Internet for decades to come. With that, I'll turn it over to Thomas to dive into our steady, efficient, fast-growing numbers. Thomas, take it away. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you to everyone for joining us. We continued the momentum from the fourth quarter and delivered a strong Q1, exceeding the high end of our revenue guidance with strengths in multiple areas of the business. Turning to revenue, total revenue for the first quarter increased 54% year over year to $212.2 million. The growth in revenue was driven by strong adoption of our product portfolio and continued traction with our enterprise customer base. From a geographic perspective, in Q1, we saw continued strength in both the U.S. and internationally. The U.S. represented 53% of revenue and increased 56% year over year. EMEA represented 26% of revenue and increased 57% year over year. APAC represented 14% of revenue and increased 31% year over year. We are pleased to see growth continue to accelerate in APAC and see EMEA repeat as our highest growth geography this quarter. Turning to customer metrics, we exited the quarter with 154,109 paying customers, representing an increase of 29% year over year. We ended the year with 1,537 large customers, representing an increase of 63% year-over-year, or an addition of 121 large customers in the quarter. We were pleased to see large customer revenue contribution increase again sequentially. Significant expansion from our large customers contributed to a record dollar-based net retention rate of 127% representing an increase of 200 basis points sequentially. We continue to see broad-based strength across our enterprise go-to-market efforts, which we look forward to providing additional insights during our Investor Day next week. Moving to cross margin, first quarter cross margin was 78.7%, consistent with last quarter. Network CapEx represented 9% of revenue in the first quarter. Going forward, we expect to see some level of quarter-to-quarter variability given strategic purchase decisions and continue to expect network capex to be 12 to 14% of revenue for fiscal 2022. Turning to operating expenses. First quarter operating expenses as a percentage of revenue decreased 2% sequentially and decreased 7% year-over-year to 76%. 
We had another strong hiring quarter where we saw our total number of employees increase 42% year over year, bringing our total number of employees to approximately 2,750 at the end of the quarter. Sales and marketing expenses were $89.7 million for the quarter. Sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue decreased 2% sequentially and decreased to 42 from 46% in the same quarter last year. Research and development expenses were $40.3 million in the quarter. R&D as a percentage of revenue stayed flat sequentially and decreased to 19% from 21% in the same quarter last year. G&A expenses were $32 million for the quarter. G&A as a percentage of revenue increased 1% sequentially and decreased to 15 from 17% in the same quarter last year. We saw continued operating leverage strength in the first quarter with operating margin improving 770 basis points year over year. Operating income was $4.9 million compared to an operating loss of $7.5 million in the same period last year. Q1 is our third consecutive quarter of achieving operating profit. And as a reminder, we intend to grow our operating expenses in line with the revenue, stay near or at break even, and reinvest excess profitability back into the business to address the enormous opportunity in front of us. Turning to net income and the balance sheet. Our net income in the quarter was $3.5 million, or net income per share of one cent. Tax expense for the first quarter was $1.7 million. We ended the first quarter with $1.7 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and available for sale securities. Free cash flow was negative $64.4 million, or 30% of revenue, compared to negative $2.2 million, or 2% of revenue in the same period last year. Operating cash flow was negative $35.5 million in the first quarter, or 70% of revenue, compared to $23.5 million, or 17% of revenue in the same period last year. The decrease in cash flow was primarily related to a unique withholding tax payment of approximately $30 million. As mentioned last quarter, we expected to see some cash flow variability in the first half of 2022, but we continue to expect to return to positive free cash flow in the second half of this year. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, came in at $688 million, representing an increase of 10% sequentially and 57% year over year. Current RPO was 76% of total RPO. Turning to guidance. As Matthew mentioned, we closed the Area 1 acquisition on April 1st which is expected to contribute less than 1% to revenue, and the dilutive impact on profitability is reflected in guidance in both the second quarter and full year. Additionally, in the first quarter, we also ended all relationships with users tied to sanctioned parties in Russia, which represented less than that 1% impact to revenue. For the second quarter, we expect revenue in the range of 2265 to $227.5 million, representing an increase of 49% year over year. We expect an operating loss, including Area 1, in the range of 2 to $1 million. We expect a net loss per share of $0.01 cent to break even. 
For modeling purposes, please note that if we report positive net income in the second quarter, we expect our share count to be 344 million fully diluted shares, versus 325 million basic shares if we report a net loss. We expect a tax expense of $1.8 million. For the full year 2022, we expect revenue in the range of 955 to $959 million, representing an increase of 45% to 46% year over year. We expect operating income for the full year in the range of $10 million to $14 million. And we expect net income per share over that period in the range of 3 to $0.04, cents, assuming approximately $345 million common shares outstanding. We expect a tax expense of $7.7 million. In closing, it was another very strong quarter. I again want to thank our employees for delivering these great results and for their continued dedication. We look forward to hosting our second Investor Day next Thursday, where we'll do a deeper dive on our product portfolio and recent acquisitions, as well as updates on our financial progress and market opportunities. And with that, I'd like to open it up for questions. Operator, please poll for questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Matt Hedberg with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, it's Dan Bergster for Matt Hedberg. Thanks for taking our question. So dollar-based net retention continues to track well. The 127% was really nice to see, obviously having success with large customer expansion. Maybe a little more, if you could, on what, what is it that gets customers to buy into the broader set of the platform? And what really gets those enterprise customers to the next level of usage? Sure. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for the question. I, I think that what we've seen is that once a customer is on our network, we can see traffic across their systems typically and make intelligent recommendations over what additional products. So I'll give you a, a specific example. We're um, we have an incredible bot management product uh, that is is good at stopping malicious automated traffic on a customer's um, site. One of the things we do is even before uh, someone is using the bot management product, we can look at their traffic patterns, see how many bots they have, and then generate a report for them that says, you know, you have a bot problem. Here's what we see. Would you like us to help help you with it? And so I think that those sorts of intelligent recommendations have been very good at getting customers to adopt additional products uh, on, on our platform. I think going forward, as we've talked about in previous earnings calls, what you'll see us do more and more is bundle together our services into um, much broader licenses. And so you can see that with even some of the examples uh, that uh, that I brought up on 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 the on, on the the prepared remarks earlier, where companies that buy into our total infrastructure commit to a certain spend with us, and then they are able to just continuously add additional products, and we true that up. On, a, on an annual basis. I think we are really unique in that we have that broad set of, of different products where once you're using our service, we can start making intelligent recommendations and we can solve so many problems for customers that those sort of site-wide uh, licenses make sense. Uh, and I think that that'll, that will continue to be a big piece of our, our uh, growth going forward. I think that's very helpful. 
I wanted to add it to that tie back to the incredible innovation engine that you should keep in mind too. Not only is the expansion working, but there are more products and features available to sell every quarter um, that plays into into our DNR strategy moving forward. Very helpful from both of you. And then new customer generation, really robust in the quarter, a record as you mentioned. Anything worth pointing out there as a driver or counting for that strong new customer number? Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to. I don't mean to critique your your work, but your your early note that went out suggested that we now have fourteen thousand customers. In, in fact, we actually added fourteen thousand new customers in the quarter, paying customers in the quarter, and are now at over one hundred and fifty thousand paying customers across the platform. Um, I think that 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 again is 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 just us showing that across, regardless of the size of customer, we've been able to very effectively get them onto our platform. Uh, nurture them over time, get them to use additional products and services, and grow them into larger and larger customers. And so, I, I think it's it, it, it's at some level when you when you look at growth like that, um, it, there's never one particular thing that you can point to and say that was what was going on. Because again, it's it we we service such a broad set of customers from very small to very very large. But but I'm really proud of the team and the hard work. Uh, that they've done in order to uh, deliver uh, in in continuing to grow uh, our, our entire customer base, and and uh, and and that's and and it's just great to see us have a record add of fourteen thousand new customers in the quarter. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Your next question comes from the line of Joel Fishbein with Truist. Your line is open. Uh, good evening and uh, fantastic execution again. Um, I, Matthew, um, a couple of uh, other companies that are cloud-centric have reported that, you know, Internet traffic has been uh, trending, you know, uh, down uh, over the past several months. Um, I'd love to just get your um, take on what's happening and how Cloudfare is positioned and how their, um, how your Internet traffic has been flowing. Yeah, we we haven't seen that. Um, I think it has been uh, continued growth. So to, to to first of all answer your question, um, just straight up, uh, you know, we saw year over year traffic growth across our network of seventy five point eight percent, quarter over quarter growth of fifteen point nine percent, and that's in line with sort of the quarter over quarter growth that we've seen uh, for the for the last period. It's worth remembering that um, that we don't we don't bill uh primarily based on usage we we bill in a much more predictable way and so um i, I think that that is a good indication that we are taking share uh from from the rest of the industry um but but even in these uh post covid times uh the the traffic across our network continues to to grow and we do that while still maintaining, um, you know, above what our target gross margins are. I think that the other thing which you didn't ask about, but but I think is, is interesting to compare, um, is how much CPU usage has grown across our network. And where bandwidth has grown um, 75.8% year over year, CPU usage is over the quarter, it's 15.9% it's, uh, for bandwidth and 21.8% and growth for CPU usage. What I, what I think is why that's interesting and that's important is I think that that's actually showing where people are not just using Cloudflare for moving bits around, but they're using Cloudflare in order to do intelligent processing of those bits. 
And that intelligence, which is really driven by our, like our workers' edge computing product, uh, as well as some of our security products, that's actually growing faster than bandwidth. And I, and I think that that delta uh, shows why we're able to continue to grow revenue at you know the 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 fifty four percent that we did in the quarter. Does that does that answer your question? More than I wanted, but thank you. That was great. Appreciate it. Your next question comes from the line of Brent Thill with Jeffries. Your line is open. Matthew, I, um, the Area One uh, acquisition, I think, is a unique one for you, and kind of maybe outside your your, your core lane that you've gone. Can, can you just talk to that? And then also, um, when you think about the go-to-market and the synergies among the other suite, can you just talk through how you think that unveils, uh, you know, over the next uh, over the next several, several quarters? Thank you. Yeah, I think um, so. First of all, any acquisition is a bit unusual for us because we have such a strong bias towards internal development um, and, and building products um, ourselves. Um, I think, though, Area One um, and, and email security in particular makes just a ton of sense for us to do something around. Um, if you look across every other protocol that is, is sent across the, the Internet, we, we protect whether it's, you know, HTTP traffic or it's your SIP traffic uh, to, your, to your phone system or, you know, it's, it's SSH traffic, anything that's out there, any protocol we protect. Um, and, and we had just not dived into protecting SMTP and the email protocols. And I think a little bit of that is, um, you know, honestly, my fault and, and, and our CTO John's fault because both of us had worked in email security uh, prior to coming to Cloudflare, and, and and I think we had the scar tissue to prove from it. And so all the time, our sales team would come to us and say, hey, customers really would love us to have an email security product. Our engineering team would say, we have a ton of data that could help inform an email security product. Um, we should build it. And, and I think John and I would, would often veto that. I think that that, frankly, was a blind spot on both of our sides because if you look at the data, Email security is by far the number one source of threats that come into an organization. Um, almost every headline hacking incident that you've read about in the last two years, email was the initial way that that, that uh, vulnerability was, was uh, taken into account. So I think it makes a ton of sense for us to have a solution. It's also incredibly powerful because we're the DNS provider that we can make it one-click deployment where it's, you know, a customer of ours clicks a single button and instantly they get the benefits of the Area 1 uh, solution and they can continue to use whoever their existing email provider is, whether that's uh, Outlook and and and, uh, and and Microsoft Office or, or if it's G Suite or if it's something that they're hosting on-premise. Much like Cloudflare, Area 1 is a proxy, but it's just a proxy for email traffic. So I think it's a very natural um, uh, point for us to integrate. I think it's, it's a very easy sales motion for our, our customers to go through. And to the second part of your question, I think it integrates with the rest of our zero trust suite extremely well. So for instance, uh, when you get an email from an unknown sender, we can automatically isolate that email using our browser isolation product so that any links that you click on in that link don't actually render on your, on your laptop but they're actually rendered at the edge of our network. So any malicious content that's in those links, we can stop. 
And so I think that this is, is going to be a, a very effective way to introduce our zero trust suite uh, to the market. It gets people to um, start to adopt uh, a seats-based approach to our product. It's very easy for our existing customers to deploy with one click. And I think it's going to be a gateway to the rest of our zero trust uh, product, selling more of our gateway and access and browser isolation products as well. Does that answer your question? That was very comprehensive. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of James Fish with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, nice, nice quarter there. I wanted to hear a little bit more about the Wave 2 products like Teams and Magic Transit, Magic WAN are doing, especially as it seems like these are driving the largest dollar growth still. Additionally, how has Cloudflare for Offices progressed this quarter, and is there any way to think of how many customers or a penetration rate of using some of these uh, Wave 2 solutions that, that I'm talking about here? Yeah, so I think that the the wave two solutions and 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 I I, I would um, I would characterize it a, a, a little bit differently. I would say that you know we have uh, products like Magic Transit, uh, Magic Firewall that that really do complement uh, some of our more traditional products. They're all about protecting content, protecting your infrastructure, um, and then we have products like Gateway and Access and Browser Isolation, which are all about protecting users. Um, and, and so I think you've clumped those sort of into into wave two, um, I, and that that's true from a timing perspective. But they actually are, are slightly different, and they and 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 I think that they um, are both growing very well. Uh, but they're they they are somewhat different in terms of the um, the way that we go to market with those products, and and in some cases who the exact buyer is within an organization for those products. Um, and so I think. We've seen really strong adoption for the Magic Transit product. Um, that is replacing a lot of the traditional uh, network DDoS um, uh, uh, protection services. Uh, I think particular strength in carriers that are starting to use the product uh, as well, which I think is a which is a really exciting uh, opportunity. Um, and it's, we're getting that because of the fact that we can just stand in front of much more traffic than possible. Than it's possible through any sort of box-based solution. Um, I think on the user-based uh, products, we're seeing really good adoption of those, both for customers who are coming first for those products, but then also for us to be able to sell those products to our existing customers. I mean, there's a really natural uh, extension between our traditional firewall product and the access product, and that those those uh, dovetail very well together. I think Cloudflare for Offices continues to progress. Um, it, it really well, although it's very early in terms of what that uh, what that will look like. Um, you know, we have uh, in the quarter we we announced some of the hardware that we are uh, deploying, uh, and we are starting to build that out within networks. I would say that rather than that us measuring the success of that product today based on the revenue that it generates, I think we are much more uh, measuring the success of that product based on the willingness of landlords. And, uh, and network providers to invite us into their facilities and allow us to, to directly interconnect. And I think that that is, uh, in, in, in every region where we've deployed uh, the Cloudflare for Offices, that is trending at or ahead of what our expectations are. Thanks for the details, Matthew. Uh, in, in, in every region where we've deployed uh, the Cloudflare for Offices, that is trending at or ahead of what our expectations are. 
Thanks for the details, Matthew. Your next question comes from the line of Phil Winslow with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Congrats on another, another great quarter. I uh, want to focus in on uh, on workers and, and R2. You talked about some pretty you know, significant wins there, uh, you know, Matthew. One of the things you've also talked about, too, is how sort of it takes a long time to sort of get escape velocity in a, in a platform in terms of developer adoption, et cetera. You know, how are you thinking about sort of where we stand right now? And is anything sort of surprising you in sort of the rate and pace of, of adoption of workers or just sort of call it the broader platform when you think about, uh, about R2? Sure. So, um, so first of all, as, as I mentioned, um, R2 is going to progress from a closed beta to an open beta uh, next week. Uh, and, and next week we have Platform Week, which is really very much focused on um, all of the different ways that Cloudflare can be a platform for developers to develop on, um, but, but really a focus around uh, the, the various workers' products. And I think we'll have some very exciting um, surprises uh, as part of as part of uh, what we're what we're rolling out uh, over the course of the week uh, as well, I think that you know that if you study developer platforms for them to really reach escape velocity it takes between eight and twelve years. And so workers uh, w- was uh, launched in late two thousand seventeen. so we're, um, we're 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 continuing to develop it. We're on that curve. Um, I think the thing that has surprised me, is that we're seeing very big companies with very sophisticated development teams um, getting excited about. And um, I think the thing that has surprised me is that we're seeing very big companies with very sophisticated development teams um, getting excited about and realizing that workers is a solution for a lot of the problems they have. The two examples that I mentioned in the prepared remarks um, you know, one, uh, the major social network, that, that's a very sophisticated um, developer team that chose to build using workers. And I think what we found is that once a team like that sees the power of what they can do with workers, that it, it really excites them both within the organization they're at and also as they change jobs and go to other places where they take the technology with them. Um, the same thing is true with the uh, uh, Australian software company where doing something like real-time collaboration across multiple continents, if you're trying to do that with a traditional uh, public cloud, it's it's a ton of work. With durable objects and workers, it almost just works out of the box. And, in fact, we have examples of how that's done. And I think that that was uh, something that was, again, incredibly well-received by that very sophisticated software engineering team, and we expect that they will continue to do more uh, with the product. So I think the by that very sophisticated software engineering team, and we expect that they will continue to do more uh, with the product. So I think, again, it's going to be some time before, um, you know, before before it's something that we would, uh, that, it, that is, is dramatically contributing to, to revenue, but I am uh, very pleasantly surprised uh, that it that is, is dramatically contributing to, to revenue, but I am uh, very, pleasantly surprised uh, at how many uh, developers are are, um, are are flocking to the, the workers' ecosystem, and we'll be talking a lot more about it next week. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hi, it's Matt Wilson. I'm for Keith Weiss. Thank you for taking our questions. 
Matt, Egan mentioned the opportunity to use gross margins as a weapon against customers who are or, or against com- competitors who are more vulnerable to pricing and cost pressures. Can you detail what has allowed Cloudflare to resist these pressures, uh, both on the pricing and cost front? You know, I think efficiency is just at our core. And so our network has always been designed in such a way uh, to be able to get, um, to, to be as efficient as, as possible. And so that has allowed us to deliver the services that, that we do. I, I think we, you know, um, we, 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 we sometimes get compared with some of the more traditional CDN uh, type vendors, and that's just never how we have seen ourselves. And it's not business that we have that we have chased. And so I, I think that where if you're selling, you know, just bit delivery, um, it turns out that being, you know, a little bit faster um, really is it, it, the, the returns are incredibly diminishing. Um, whereas if you're selling security, if you're selling, you know, intelligence, which is built into the network, if you're selling um, the ability to drive that, that 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 has that has a very uh, compelling uh, use case. I think from the beginning, we also always said that, you know, Cloudflare, you know, one of the first tenants of Cloudflare was, you know, never lose on price. And I think that forced us to be efficient from the beginning. And so customers, I think in this time where everyone is looking for ways to uh, figure out how they can save money on their IT budget, uh, and where many other vendors are trying to figure out how they can either hold or raise prices, I think we can continue to be pushing forward and taking share, and especially taking that high-margin share uh, from both existing hardware vendors who are having a hard time even delivering their product, uh, as well as you know other cloud vendors that uh, that that I, again I think are, um, are are not as efficient as as we've been. So I think that's been key to our our story since the earliest days. It will continue to be key to our story, and um, I, I think it's that that efficiency is is a, a hallmark of who we are at Cloudflare. Awesome. Thank you for the details. And maybe uh, on this front, one for Thomas. When when can we kind of expect this? Uh, uh, gross margin strategy to show up in the numbers. Um, I, I'm not sure what you mean by showing up in the numbers. I think that we have been able to digest the significant revenue growth, that we have been able to digest the significant traffic uh, growth uh, that, that Matthew just uh, alluded to, and been able to scale at a, at a flat to up cross margin, I, I, I think is already a testament um, uh, to the elasticity of, of the network. And I just want to reiterate that because I think that is our one of our competitive modes, the ability that all products are running on every server in every city. And, and because of that, the complete network surface are your degrees of freedom to, to manage costs and demand and supply in every server that we add, every city that we add, regardless of where in the world, adds degrees of freedom to manage the, the flexibility and the elasticity of this network. So I think you see that already today. We've seen tremendous growth product-wise, um, revenue-wise, traffic-wise, every metric that you look at that would measure that and have been able to digest that in 
in um, in stable to, to to slightly up cross margins. I think it's already a testament to that. Uh, understood. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of James Breen with William Blair. Your line is open. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, just sort of on that point a little bit. So are you are you basically sort of managing to kind of a break even non gap operating income line, um, you know, plus or minus a couple million here just to maximize the revenue, and then um, you know, just from an expansion standpoint, um, you know, as, as you build out more network, more points of presence. Um, does it enable you to go deeper into some of the multinationals that right now maybe you, you don't have access to because of that? Thanks. Sure, Jim. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that we've been very consistent at saying that we are going to hold as close to break even on our operating margin uh, as as we can. Um, I, I said on, on a previous call that you know if we if we showed you know massively. Uh, positive earnings per share, um, that would mean something that we can, uh, as, as we can. Um, I, I said on, on a previous call that, you know, if we, if we showed, you know, massively, uh, positive earnings per share, um, that would mean something that we did something wrong. Because if we can continue to grow, uh, at, at the rates that we're, that we're, um, that we're guiding toward, we did something wrong. Because if we can continue to grow, uh, at at the rates that we're that we're um, that we're guiding towards, um, you know, it, it, there's there's nowhere else we should be putting that money other than back into the business to grow the business as quickly as possible. And so I think that you know we are we're we are doing uh, that. We've been very consistent in delivering uh, that message. I don't think there's anything that has changed about that strategy. And, uh, and again, I think we're, we're managing towards a, uh, a break even on, on operating margin. In terms of, in terms of the pops, um, you know, I think that, um, I mean, we're already in, you know, well, well over a hundred countries around the world. Um, I think that, um, I mean, we're already in, you know, well, well over a hundred countries around the world. Um, I think that we're, when multinationals look to us, it, it's not, our, um, it's not our, our pop presence that uh, that that has ever been, uh, you know, certainly since we've been public, uh, standing in the way of them adopting us. And and I think that if you look at the the companies that you know if you, that that we're highlighting in some of the examples, these are almost all massive multinational uh, companies uh, that that rely on our network. And think that it's the case. I think the thing which is powerful about it as we build out more pops is that counterintuitively, because of the design of our network and because of the efficiency of our network that both Thomas and I just alluded to, um, it actually drives our costs down over time rather than driving it up. It takes, it takes a certain amount of servers uh, in order to process a certain number of requests. So your capex is actually driven by the amount of usage of your service more than anything else. What is powerful is because we have done the hard work on the networking and software side to make it so that any server anywhere can handle any request. That means that as we continue to expand our network out, that we're able to directly interconnect with the various ISPs and eyeball networks around the world and drive our costs down for things like bandwidth, co-location and other variable costs that are part of our business. 
And so I, I, I think that that's for things like bandwidth, co-location, and other variable costs that are part of our business. And so I, I, I think that that's decomposing a little bit what the uh, reason for our, our ability to, um, to continue to expand. And, and if in the future, you know, we need to don snorkels and, and dive to the bottom of the ocean in order, because we can get more efficiency in, in, uh, in, in our, in our network by putting a, a pop, you know, somewhere there, we're going to continue to do whatever is necessary to be able to deliver our services as efficiently, uh, and cost effectively as possible. Great. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Adam Borg with Stiefel. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks so much uh, for taking the question. Um, maybe just for Matthew on the federal vertical, um, I'm just hoping you could provide an update just on FedRAMP and the opportunities that you see. Obviously, you've seen some traction there with the joint win with, with, the joint win with Accenture. But just curious how you're thinking about the federal opportunity in, in 2022 uh, more broadly. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, federal is, is a big opportunity for us. FedRAMP. Uh, we think we'll continue to unlock that. We got word actually today uh, that we have have uh, thumbs up from our our sponsoring agency and are just waiting, uh, kind of in line uh, with the with the overall um, federal agency to get that approved. So we think that's all going well. Uh, we've done everything that we can do, and you know it's it's a little bit like being at the DMV. You've got to kind of just wait for your number to get called. But we're uh, we're confident that it will. It'll get called uh, hopefully sooner than than later. And and if if anyone if anyone at the federal DMV is listening in, we uh, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of agencies that want to use us. Uh, so hopefully we can meet that meet that uh, requirement. That is not holding us uh, back from working uh, with Accenture as well as other partners. And we've continued to see significant interest. I think the thing that I would come back to is the amount of trust that we have built and the sort of sea level equivalent. Of the federal government, um, you know the 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 number of calls uh, that that our team that and, and including myself have received from uh, the people who are really uh, trusted with uh, securing the U.S. infrastructure uh, to understand what's going on in Ukraine uh, to ask us for help protecting uh, the the infrastructure in the United States. Um, I think that 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 speaks incredibly well of us. We we actually launched. Uh, in partnership with CrowdStrike as well as Ping Identity in the quarter, the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act. And I was really honored uh, by the White House, um, you know, stepping up and saying that that was something that they recommended any hospitals, uh, utilities, or energy companies um, adopt uh, as, as quickly as possible. So I think that we have an enormous amount of goodwill uh, within within the government. I think uh, we are we are moving forward and think that there's an enormous opportunity uh, to continue to uh, uh, deliver on that goodwill um, and and uh, and any day now hopefully the uh, we are we are moving forward and think that there's an enormous opportunity uh, to continue to uh, uh, deliver on that goodwill um, and and uh, and any day now hopefully the uh, the 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 FedRAMP DMV. Uh, we'll call our number and, and we'll be able to announce that, that 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 process is formally behind us. Great. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson. Great. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson with Needham. Your line is open. Great. Thanks. Uh, first off, I wanted to 
to, to, to really compliment you guys on what a great job you've done protecting both the Ukrainian infrastructure as well as the, re the reporters that uh, need it there and, and continuing to con deliver access to Western uh, news flow into Russia. It's really important stuff. Um, the question I wanted to ask was really around the um, uh, Internet traffic uh, question asked earlier. Um, and maybe you could give us a couple of data points on, on the uh, change in your coding totals. But um, the traffic uh, obviously up 75% uh, is well ahead of this, the, the growth in, in the marketplace, which I think is around 30%. Uh, so can you update us on where you are in terms of what percentage of Internet traffic you're carrying? Uh, and second, uh, along the same lines, um, it's my understanding that API traffic uh, has – more than doubled over the last 18 months in terms of its rate of growth from over 150% to something in excess of 300%, which ultimately uh, suggests that there's very high rates of growth in the domain to domain and domain to user traffic, which is obviously uh, a, a key part of what you guys do, protecting um, you know, and optimizing and accelerating that traffic. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about um, – where you are on those statistics in terms of share and what the and optimizing and accelerating that traffic. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about um, where you are on those statistics in terms of share and what the implication of that API growth rate is? I realize you're not being paid per uh, bit, but rather uh, that would imply very rapid acceleration in the number of domains that are being paid per uh, bit, but rather uh, that would imply very rapid acceleration in the number of domains that are being, uh, you know, trafficked to. Thanks. Yeah, Alex. First of all, um, thank you um, for for the for the kudos at the beginning. You know, it's it's been it's been um, you know it's, it's been a, a a quarter where a lot of our team has been working um, tireless nights to make sure that uh, as much of the Ukrainian infrastructure stays online and. And that um, you know, services like 1.1.1.1 continue to allow um, people in 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 parts of the world where they may not have a free access to the internet uh, for them to be able to see um, what's what's happening. Um, and, and and I think that that's um, that's that that's something that that I'm really proud of our team for have done. And, and I appreciate you you calling it out. Um, in terms of Cloudflare's percentage of internet traffic, you know, I think it's we, we don't really we know what our we know what our numerator is, but we don't know what the denominator is, and I don't think there's a good source of that. I think that we look at some proxies for that in other in other places. Um, one is what percentage of of the the top million websites are behind us, and and that number is around 20% um, today. I think what that underrepresents is a lot of our other products. It doesn't take into account um, products like our zero trust products are behind us, and and that number is around 20% um, today. I think what that underrepresents is a lot of our other products. It doesn't take into account um, products like our zero trust products. It doesn't take into account uh, things like Magic Transit and, and other products. But from a just pure what percentage of the of the web uh, uses Cloudflare? On if you measure that using third party sources, it's around it's right around twenty percent. Um, for APIs, um, uses Cloudflare. On if you measure that using third party sources, it's around it's right around twenty percent. 
Um, for APIs, um, I, I think that that is, has been a trend that we've seen for quite some time. More and more of the traffic that passes through Cloudflare is API traffic. Uh, in the quarter, we announced uh, our updated API protection suite. Uh, we've seen really great uh, adoption for that. Um, again, I, I think it's one of those things where um, it, it, it's, it's, all, it's all sort of the same protocols, but being able to understand that this is an API, validate that API, help developers um, you know, really make sure that the schema that is being sent to and from that API um, is correct. Those are all things that uh, our, our network is, is very good at delivering, and we're seeing strong customer interest is correct. Those are all things that uh, our, our network is, is very good at delivering, and we're seeing strong customer interest and strong customer growth from that. And the last thing I'd say is that workers is a big, you know, there is no easier way to build an API today than on workers. And I think that next week, uh, during Platform Week, we're going to have a bunch of examples of, of customers and companies and developers that are doing exactly that. And I think that that's going to be a bigger and bigger piece of the worker story going forward. If I could just throw one additional question in. India and China, uh, can you give us an update on why that traffic uh, isn't reaccelerating at a faster rate and when it will start to eclipse China? Uh, can you give us an update on why that traffic uh, isn't reaccelerating at a faster rate and when it will start to eclipse the, the company averages? Thanks. So, um, I, so I, I don't think we've broken out uh, the, the company averages. Thanks. So, um, I, so I, I don't think we've broken out um, the traffic from from India and China, and uh, and and I don't and I don't know. Um, uh, precisely what the growth rates are. Uh, yeah, from that was a revenue regions. question, Matt. Um, the traffic from from India and China, and uh, and and I don't and I don't know um, uh, precisely what the growth rates are. Uh, yeah, from that was a revenue regions. question, Matt. Oh, I, revenue, I apologize. From, from a revenue um, uh, revenue perspective, um, so uh, so again, I think that those are both um, you know regions that are interesting to us. They're very different from one another. I think that we have seen a lot of success selling into the Indian market uh, and and been able to uh, been able to continue to expand our services there. Uh, and 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 it and and we've done a great job at both selling to customers as well as finding ways to interconnect with what is a very complicated um, uh, you know ISP model in 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 India in China. We've always worked with uh, partners, and so we have been a, a longtime partner with Baidu. Uh, we are a more recent partner with JD uh, Cloud, um, and and I think that in both in in that case, that partnership is going extremely well. Uh, and and again, it's it's um, it, it is it is complicated for any Western company to be operating in China. And so the fact that we have now been doing uh, so since uh, 2015. Um, I, I think shows uh, that that um, shows shows the the power of what we've been able to deliver. It, it also, it's not always that the purpose that we're that we're trying to generate revenue from. Um, I, I think shows uh, that that um, shows shows the the power of what we've been able to deliver. It, it also, it's not always that the purpose that we're that we're trying to generate revenue from inside uh, of China. The, the value of us having a network that extends into China. Is is at least in equal part, if not if not greater, that we can form multinational companies 
say you can, with one single network, deliver services to every country on Earth, including inside of China. And I think that that is unique uh, for us to be able to do that and have the same features and functionality largely uh, there that we have around around the rest of the world. So I think both of those are markets that have their own complications, uh, but we, we continue to operate in and, and, uh, and see success. Thanks. Operator, can we take one more question, please? Certainly. Your last question comes from the line of Amit Daryanani with Evercore. Your line and see success. Thanks. Operator, can we take one more question, please? Certainly. Your last question comes from the line of Amit Daryanani with Evercore. Your line is open. Perfect. Thank you for squeezing me in. Uh, you know, I, I guess I have two as well. I'll ask them at the same time. Uh, you know, and it's open. Perfect. Thank you for squeezing me in. Uh, you know, I, I guess I have two as well. I'll ask them at the same time. Uh, you know, first off, I was, was wondering, hoping you could just talk about, you know, this growing concern of a recession in, in Europe and in America. So in that context, are you seeing any shift in your customers' buying patterns or deal closing rates or anything, uh, just any impact from risk of recession to how your sales team is operating. Um, and then if you could also just clarify from an M&A perspective, how is that embedded uh, into your revenue and operating profit guide for June quarter? What is the impact from uh, from the deals, if you may? Thank you. Sure. I'll take the first question, and then Thomas can close close out with the, the second. Um, I, as I said, I think that this will, when the history books are written, uh, turn out to be the most complicated quarter that tech companies uh, have have lived through, certainly since Q1 of, of 2020. And I think that there is real risk uh, of, of a recession uh, going forward. And, and, and even, even aside from that, I think that there's definitely, we're all seeing, uh, you know, the inflationary environment and the concerns around that. What I'm, what I like though, is I can't imagine a company that is better positioned for a situation like that than we are. Uh, we're offering a service which is not a concerns around that. What I'm, what I like though is I can't imagine a company that is better positioned for a situation like that than we are. Uh, we're offering a service which is not a nice to have but a must have. Uh, we're offering a service in a way which saves customers money over what their existing solutions are. We've deployed the network in such a way that we can nice to have but a must have. Uh, we're offering a service in a way which saves customers money over what their existing solutions are. We've deployed the network in such a way that we can make sure that we service customers as we need them. And so what we saw in the quarter was was definitely buyers concerned over what was going on in the world. But in many cases, that was actually having concerns over what was going on in the world. But in many cases, that was actually having them come to us. And so I think that as, as, as there are challenging economic times, we are seeing them come to us. And so I think that as, as, as there are challenging economic times, we are extremely well positioned to provide what are critical services to make sure the internet continues to work. And, it, and to me, it, it feels a lot like the beginning of COVID, where, you know, I think there's a lot of concern that's out there. But over time, what we find is time and time and time again, customers are turning to us saying we want to consolidate our spend 
from instead of spending across 10 different vendors, we want to put it all behind you. They like the fact that we have that bundle time and time and time again. Customers are turning to us saying we want to consolidate our spend from instead of spending across 10 different vendors, we want to put it all behind you. They like the fact that we have that bundled integrated approach and they like the fact that we're able to save them money over what their legacy solutions are uh, that are in place. So I think that that positions us very well for what may be what was what I think was already a challenging quarter for many companies. Uh, and, and I think it might be a, a challenging period uh, for for uh, companies over the over the next period to come. And um, addressing your guidance question, I think we followed our 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 standard approach of trying to be thoughtful and prudent um, when it came to the exposure um, to Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. Uh, we already mentioned that we we that that was a less than one percent um, headwind. Uh, to the revenue in the first quarter, and we reflected this also in the, the guidance we issued for the current quarter and for the rest of the year. Um, and as I said in the prepared remarks, to the revenue in the first quarter, and we reflected this also in the, the guidance we issued for the current quarter and for the rest of the year. Um, and as I said in the prepared remarks, the acquisition of um, Area 1 is also reflected um, in, in guidance, uh, both for the second quarter as well as for the full year. And that is true both for revenue, but you know, less than, than 1% contribution for the year. But it's also uh, true for the dilutive impact of um, on, on profitability. So it's all reflected in the guidance we gave. That is all the time we have for questions. I'd like to turn the call back to CEO Matthew Prince for closing remarks. This has been a challenging quarter uh, as we've watched what world events have taken place. I'm incredibly proud of our team for having made sure that uh, the Ukrainian infrastructure stayed online, that the people of the world could see what was really happening, and providing a network with Cloudflare that uh, really can stand up to any challenge that's ahead. I really appreciate all the work of all of the Cloudflare uh, employees. I really can stand up to any challenge that's ahead. I really appreciate all the work of all of the Cloudflare uh, employees. I appreciate all of our customers. I'm looking forward to seeing many of you at our Investor Day uh, and our Customer Day, which is next, next week in New York. And stay tuned for a lot of announcements. It's going to be a busy week for us because it's also Platform Week, which is one of our innovation weeks, and we're expecting you to announce a number of really great features. Thank you so much. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for joining. You may now disconnect.